This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Campsite Media. A warning. We'll be discussing eating disorders and sexual abuse. So if these topics are triggering for you, please take care while listening. I'll never forget being 15 years old and seeing something nestled in my friend Anna's dresser drawer. A deep V burgundy thong with elegant flute-like gold flowers. It was a thing of beauty. And it was speaking to me. It was saying, steal me. So I did. I stole my friend Anna's burgundy thong with the gold flowers. Not because I'm an absolute klepto, but because back then, at 15 years old, I fully believed in the power of owning and wearing a Victoria's Secret thong. The brand wasn't just familiar. We were intimate. I wasn't sure exactly what they had to say, but I knew that I wanted to go where the Victoria's Secret Angels go. To a place where your legs don't end until Tucson, and your hair looks like it's made from blow-dried golden retriever, and you look and feel and walk like a goddamn warrior. Even when you're on your period. But what I didn't realize, what I wouldn't realize for decades to come, is that for the women behind the scenes and on that runway, Victoria's Secret was anything but the glittering, seductive spectacle I had fantasized about. There's been some controversy surrounding Victoria's Secret in recent years. In hell. Anorexia and bullying. Razik is accused of inappropriately touching and trying to kiss mom. About a toxic culture and Victoria's Secret. Comments about her breath. And retaliation for anyone who complained. I'm Justine Harmon. And I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis. This is the first episode of Fallen Angel, a show about Victoria's Secret and its many, many secrets. The famous lingerie company has been part of my life forever. I mentioned the thong. But I also spent 10 years working as an editor at major women's magazines. Magazines where Victoria's Secret was a really important advertiser, and where the advertisers pretty much keep the lights on. So for years, the angels fell very much into the purview of my beat. And I'm a writer with Vanity Fair. I've published a lot of investigative work. I've written about drug cartels in Mexico, the way universities handle sexual assault. And I was the only journalist to interview the leader of Nexium before he was found guilty. That's that bonkers cult that used a smoldering hot brand on Hollywood actresses. So, considering all the work I've done in the past, this is another meaty story. 
pulling back the curtain on Victoria's Secret, figuring out what's really behind the fantasy. Let me remind you of how attractive that fantasy was, how many of us fell into this Willy Wonka of womanhood. Victoria's Secret, until recently, sold a third of the underwear women bought in America. It's pretty strange that one company has been in charge of what so many of us wear under our clothes. And they've been on top forever. Victoria's Secret was such a large figure in the intimate apparel industry. It had such an impact on millions of people's lives across generations. That's Cora Harrington. She runs a beloved industry blog called The Lingerie Addict and wrote a book called In Intimate Detail, How to Choose, Wear, and Love Lingerie. She basically has a PhD in Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret completely changed the narrative about intimate apparel. They made it more accessible in a lot of ways. They, they surfaced the conversation about intimates in a lot of ways. Cora began shopping at Victoria's Secret in her early 20s and then absolutely fell in love with the romance of lingerie and the annual fashion shows. I absolutely remember that, that feeling of, of shopping there for the first time. It, it was exciting. You walk in and it's, it's pink and there's lights and you have the bras on the walls and everything's so pretty. And I mean, I remember like looking forward to the fashion show every year and that being a big deal, you know, getting together and watching it with other people. Welcome to the one, the only, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. The most watched fashion event in the world. Super Bowl of Fashion. Oh my God, I thought it was so glamorous. Ladies, let's do it! We all did back then. I remember watching them catwalk in their enormous feather headdresses, like old-timey chorus girls, maybe with some sort of large, diaphanous cape. And, of course, under that, very, very skimpy lingerie. But only a few select models, let alone plebeians like me or Justine, were ever invited to strut down the runway. You might think, hey, that's a Victoria's Secret model. Seen one, seen them all. But there was a whole hierarchy here. There were models who just did still photographs. There were models who did photo shoots for Pink, Victoria's Secret's teen brand. And then, at the tippy top of the hierarchy, there were the angels. Victoria's Secret introduces angels. We're not those kind of angels. You remember the angels. They're the ones with the wings. Giselle, Tyra, Carly. Good angels go to heaven. Victoria's Secret angels go everywhere. Everywhere the VIP angels went, the headlines and wagging tongues followed. Angels, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time away from being intermediaries between God and mankind to model lingerie. To be a Victoria's Secret angel was to be anointed as better than. To be the platonic ideal of 12.4 million American viewers. To be a super supermodel. Strong, fierce, iconic, wings. Angels were a testament to genetic luck, yes, but also physical and mental discipline. And they weren't just beauty queens, they were earners. In 2012, it was reported that Adriana Lima made $7.3 million just from modeling. An angel could have a bestseller or star in a box office smash. She could sell high fashion in Europe and lipstick to housewives. She was also selling a valuable promise to women. 
they were getting all this positive press, you know, from magazines. They would announce there's a new angel and everybody's all a flutter and they, they could control, I think, the narrative. They were basically telling women, you can look like this supermodel if you buy our stuff. So the inference was that if you bought Victoria's Secret stuff, you'd look like an angel. Then you had some of us going into the stores and buying this lingerie that, quite honestly, I don't ever think was that comfortable. Like, is my pinky going to fit in that thong? Or it's just pushing up stuff that looks better not pushed up. But the Victoria's Secret mythology, at least in part, seemed like this will look good if you work out. Do you guys want to know how the Victoria's Secret angels train for the show? If you're diligent enough with your exercise, that shit will fit. I work out seven days a week, sometimes twice a day. I like to do Pilates, racket sports, bar training, weight training, resistance like lunges. I ran on the beach this year. And that's how you train like an angel. So for the women lucky enough to actually train with the Victoria's Secret Army, it felt like finding a golden ticket. Here's former fashion magazine editor Danielle Prescott. Modeling is one of the only industries where like women out-earn men consistently, and Victoria's Secret pays very well. And the exposure is huge. It is like life-changing for somebody. And then it's like, uh-oh. Like, you might have made a deal with the devil and they called it angels because now you are locked in. For these angels, there was so much at stake. Money, fame, feeling like you're part of one of the most iconic companies in the world. Models at Victoria's Secret rarely left, unless they were pushed out. More after the break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Hi, this is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So after telling you about all the models that Victoria's Secret made famous, we also talked about the models being locked in. But what were they locked into? Sure, some of them had to sign a contract for a certain amount of time and do a lot of exercise, but it was more than that. Let's face it, their bodies were a distortion of reality. The look was long legs, tiny torso, and huge boobs. Basically, a plastic Barbie doll. The legs, in particular, were very important. They usually went straight down in a line, waist to ankles, like chopsticks. So the models would be hourglasses on the top, with the boobs. But around the hips, there was nothing. Must be nice, right? 
my relationship with Victoria's Secret is that I was a model with them for many years. I, I shot their catalog. I shot their online. I had a long relationship with them. I worked with them for- That's the Australian model Bridget Malcolm. Bridget has chin-length blonde hair, seafoam blue eyes, and in the words of novelist Jay McInerney, cheekbones to break your heart. She started booking the Victoria's Secret catalog when she was just 18 years old, first modeling for their pink sportswear line and eventually segueing into lingerie. And all the while, as she dutifully climbed the ranks, she kept her eye on the prize, becoming an angel. Here's Bridget. Angels are essentially spokespeople for the brand. So they're meant to represent what the brand is, who they're trying to be, and how they're trying to reach their target audience. And, you know, for when I was doing Victoria's Secret, the angels were very thin. They were all the same size, the same shape, the same kind of everything. And I wanted to be one of those girls. So I just worked out and slept. Victoria's Secret models Bridget Malcolm and Kelly Gale are preparing for the big fashion show. They're getting in shape with high aerobic boxing. I was so hungry. I was so hungry. I was reliant on anti-anxiety medication to get through the night. I try to work out here every single day, sometimes twice a day. Come on. You know, I hadn't had a period in a very long time. My body wasn't working. I could barely even read a book. I didn't have a personality. I didn't feel present at all. Like, I was not there. After spending three months eating nothing but protein shakes and steamed vegetables and exercising, I, I don't feel sexy. I, I mean, I don't even know what that feels like at this point, you know, but I wanted to see myself walk down the runway in that show. It's just that once I got it, I was like, okay, actually, this is not sustainable. This is not healthy. This is not okay as a woman, as anybody. Basically, this is wrong. I found the bra that I wore um, backstage at the 2016 show and it's a 30A. Like, it's so small. I For a start, like, I didn't even know you could get bras that size. So after the second show, I was determined to try and get the show and not be, I mean, I don't want to say crazy about it, but not be so obsessive on it the rest of my life stopped. And I tried and I got very, very skinny, but it wasn't good enough. When I got rejected from the show um, in 2017, my hips were 33 and a half and normally I walk the show at a 33, so I'd gained half an inch. I was like, this is a waste of my time actually. I am presenting a really unhealthy face to the world and then trying to pretend like it's fine and it's natural. And I'm one of countless women, not just models, but like women all around the globe who have been damaged by the story that they put out. And I know among models, it has hurt so many of us. You know, I, I have diagnosed PTSD, complex PTSD. I have had really bad panic attacks and I've had some really, really serious mental health struggles um, that weren't in my life prior to Victoria's Secret and modeling. I'm never going to say that it was due to the body standards set by Victoria's Secret or by the industry, but there is a correlation between me at my sickest and when I was doing work with those brands. It's just, it is a bit difficult to be 
where I am sitting to be looking back at my life and to think about just how many years of my youth were kind of dedicated to this terrible, terrible image and narrative that Victoria's Secret were pushing down the throats of women everywhere. And this is all about, I mean, just for clarification purposes, you're just talking about like the unhealthy body standard stuff. Um, I am, but to me, I mean, to me, I think any conversation around body image and any conversation around controlling women and the way they look is actually a significantly larger conversation. It's a conversation of control between men and women, between people of power and people who don't have power. It is a symptom of like a really, really toxic trait, I think, of our society. Um, And so, I mean, yes, the body image stuff was rough, but to me, I'm more curious about, like, why. Bridget says she was starving herself to be absurdly skinny. Some models had tiny 30A-sized chests and created the cleavage we oohed and awed over with push-up bras. What's genuinely strong about that? And who allegedly was in charge of this? Marketing officer of Intimate Brands, Ed Razik, are charged with the crucial task of selecting the new models that will make up the cast of this year's show. We're looking for fresh faces. We're looking for new, beautiful young girls who can enhance the uh, basic attitude of the show. We're looking for energy. We're looking for fun. That was Ed Razik, the chief marketing officer and the model schmoozing, red carpet traipsing face of the brand for over two decades. Ed looks kind of like a shorter, slightly more bronzed Alec Baldwin. He's incredibly charismatic and energetic. He began working with Victoria's Secret the very first year they held a runway show, 1995. Here's a video of him talking about casting his 23rd show in 2017. Go back and establish your walk and then just come to us because you came running out and you didn't didn't give yourself a chance. Relax. Okay, let me set the scene. Ed is sitting behind a desk. He's like the coach in the situation, just totally in charge. And he's, you know, wearing a shirt and a tie. And the model is in stiletto heels. And, well, that's about all. Just a black bra and underwear standing in front of him. I'm so excited to be standing in front of you. You have no idea. I've got a question for you. Sure. Would you like to do the show this year? So now the model covers her face with her hands. Are you serious? Yes, I'm totally serious. Say yes! Oh my god. You made the show! And this process repeats with model after model as Ed tells them they've gotten the best job of their lives. It would be a dream come true. The dream came true. You're in the show. No! Yes! No! Yes! very emotional. It is for all of us. Okay, look, maybe for some of these models, walking in the Victoria's Secret runway show really was a dream come true. But I've written a lot of stories about cults or businesses that have culty aspects. And I have to say there seems to be something culty about Victoria's Secret. The way they set up the hierarchy and just keep banging the drum about how important it is to be one of their models. In the entire history of this show, 152 girls have walked this runway for us. That's it. Six million people on the planet. That means that each and every one of 
view is one in 40 million. <laughs> Everyone at Victoria's Secret looked up to Ed. He was the gatekeeper for that juicy Victoria's Secret contract. But employees also have a lot to say about Ed. Like Casey Crotaylor. She was in the PR department. Casey, it's so nice to talk to you. How are you feeling? Good. I feel great. I'm like Casey lives in Virginia. She's a photographer and a business coach. I tracked her down to ask about Ed. He was a, a contributor to who chose who was in the show. But he was the like be all end all to ultimately who got an age old contract versus who didn't. I think the status that it gave a model once they were contracted with Victoria's Secret was far more valuable than whatever money they got from Victoria's Secret. But being like, that's what big time modeling agencies, like if somebody gets signed as a Victoria's Secret angel, they're going to get moved up to the better agency. They're going to be getting more job requests. That that to me, I think, was always more valuable, which, to be honest, made Ed even more powerful when it came to models. And in his position of power, Ed became untouchable. Ed mostly said, like, very inappropriate compliments to the models, like asking them to sit on his lap at shoots. The other really awkward thing that he would do on set would be with other grown professional men, men with daughters, men with children, where he would make them look at and compliment this half-naked 20-year-old model. That felt so wrong to me. Um, it was like, you, uh, uh, she's beautiful, isn't she? Tell her she's beautiful. Like uh, It was more like, look at her ass. Isn't her ass amazing? Most of his comments like that were were boob, ass-related, legs-related, sex-related. Um, like, I, I actually very vividly remember being on set for a Victoria's Secret sports shoot, and he said that women only work out to look good naked to have sex with men. And my colleague and I who were on set just looked at each other like, oh, my God. Like, gross. Just gross. More after the break. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So for many, many years, Victoria's Secret had a formula. It was add very skinny models to extremely alluring lingerie, have a powerful man like Ed Razik keeping the club exclusive, and watch women fall at your feet. Or watch them fall at your feet until a few years ago. 
when the prism for American women shifted. The Me Too movement, it is growing this Millions morning. Millions of women are sharing their experience the with sexual movement harassment. growing this morning in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein oh, scandal. Harvey Weinstein. The Weinstein scandal exploding overnight. Now facing up to 29 years in prison, the verdict of victory for the Me Too movement. And many say this is just the beginning. As you all know, the Me Too movement included a lot of allegations about gross behavior. The sort of stuff we just heard Casey Crow Taylor alleging about Ed Razik. But it also expanded to become a broader moment of reckoning, taking a second look at things like pay equity, leadership positions, and the insanity surrounding female body image. And in that area, Victoria's Secret was very vulnerable. Well, I didn't really want to walk down the runway in a G-string, which I'm yeah. they tried that on me too. There's actually been a study by a doctor who works at the Boston University School of Medicine. She says Victoria's Secret models have gotten skinnier and skinnier over time. So what we did was we used the fashion model directory. It's online. It's a professional source of fashion information. And then we extracted information about these models. The hair color, um, eye color, height, bust, waist, hips, what, what we could find. Dr. Neelam Vashi studied these numbers and how they've changed over the years. And what she found was striking. The bust decreased, the waist decreased, the hips decreased, the dress size decreased. So since 1995, the average dress size for Victoria's Secret models dropped one size, while in about the same time frame, the average American woman gained 15 pounds. That's sort of odd. Maybe Victoria's Secret was just living in a bubble. Certainly seemed that way when Ed started talking to Vogue magazine. Ed Razik has been under fire following his remarks about why the brand's annual fashion show does not include transgender or plus-size models. During an interview for Vogue, Razik said that trans and plus-size women do not exemplify the fantasy the Victoria's Secret is trying to sell. The exec also revealed... And then, over some period of time, honestly, the media went nuts. The New York Times published an expose called Angels in Hell, that made Ed the subject of nightly news. Angels in hell. That's the headline in a shocking page. Models started saying Ed had wronged them. And stories started going around about Ed and even the biggest models. Supermodel Bella Hadid was reportedly subjected to crude comments about her breasts at a fitting at the 2018 fashion show. So here's what happened. Bella was allegedly being measured for panties in order to meet the broadcast standards of TV when Ed made an off-color joke. Forget the panties. The better question is whether the TV network is going to let you strut around with those perfect titties. There was a report that said he said, perfect breasts, not titties, but in general, pretty inappropriate in a work setting. Victoria's Secret's internal culture and management has come under scrutiny. This morning, renewed calls for Victoria's Secret to take action to end alleged abuse and harassment within the company. Victoria's Secret is also accused of retaliating against those who reported misconduct. We reached out to Ed repeatedly and gave him a list of questions to answer. He did not respond. But he previously defended himself in response to the New York Times article, Angels in Hell, by saying the accusations in this reporting are categorically untrue, misconstrued, or taken out of context. We also reached out to Victoria's Secret, but a representative for the brand declined to participate in this podcast. As more and more of Victoria's Secrets came out, 
it became clear that Ed wasn't the only supposed problem. People at the company had been saying all sorts of weird things. Like a creative director once said she'd never cast the gorgeous model Kate Upton in the runway show because Kate Upton had a face that anyone with enough money could go out and buy. The times were changing, and Victoria's Secret was coming off like the last of the mean girls. Look, it is still a huge brand. But post-Me Too, sales were getting really wonky. They had to close a bunch of stores. That runway show where the angels strutted their stuff? It is now officially canceled. I'm sure tonight in the world of lingerie. Right is being pulled on the Victoria's Secret fashion show. It's outdated and sexist. lack of inclusivity. women. Yeah. Women just said, you know what? It's time to stop all of that. People were just over it. And surveys started showing this in a very real way. In a study from a few years ago, 68% of people said that they liked Victoria's Secret less than they used to. And 60% said the brand felt forced or fake. And more and more women like Justine started reconsidering their whole relationship with Victoria's Secret. While working on this podcast, I've revisited so many memories I've had with the brand. I've reconsidered the many ways I consumed Victoria's Secret and its hidden messages and told myself, this seems fine. But there's one thing I never could have known when I first heard the sweet siren song of a Victoria's Secret thong. A dangerous hidden message that had been seeping into the brand's DNA for years. Founder and CEO the most important man at Victoria's Secret. The, best retail CEOs in the, business. the man at the top of this moneyed org chart was entangled with one of the most vile characters in American history. Jeffrey motherfucking Epstein. So how was Jeffrey Epstein involved with the man who dreamed up this twisted fantasy? You'll just have to slip into something a little less comfortable on this season of Fallen Angel. said that he went shopping to buy his wife's sexy lingerie. He was made to feel like a pervert. He said, oh, I, I, don't, I don't want to meet you because you just want to understand my secrets. People would always gossip about the girls who got cut. It's kind of like a cult mentality. We're calling on Victoria's Secret to uphold a code of conduct. Epstein, who was living in a one-bedroom apartment, suddenly he's worth $200 million, and so it just doesn't add up. A deal has been reached to sell Victoria's Secret. The selling price reflects a big decline in the value of the brand. The company said Sycamore Partners... Fallen Angel is a documentary production from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio, and Campside Media. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran for Cadence 13, and by me, Vanessa Gregoriotis, and Justine Harmon. Executive producers for Campside are Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Matt Scher. Narrated and written by Vanessa Gregoriotis and Justine Harmon. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Production led by Paige Heimsen. Edited by Alistair Sherman. Mixed and mastered by Chris Basil. Production support and research by Ian Mant, Sean Cherry, Bob Tabador, Bill Schultz, Kelly Rafferty, Kelly Hitchcock, Natalia Winkleman, Aaliyah Papes, Alex Yablon, and Doug Slaywin. Artwork and graphic design by Kurt Courtney. Marketing and publicity by Brian Swart, Maura Curran, Hilary Schuff, and Josephina Francis. 
Original music by Skyline Brigade. Our theme song is Heartbreak Hollywood by Ledesi. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. It's Sophia Franklin, and if you don't already know, listen up. My mini-series is live now, each and every Monday, and the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.